blessing just to be able to worship our Savior together this morning as a church. And those things that we sang, we just ask that we be true over us. If you have a Bible with you, and I invite you to go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 16 as we continue in our study through the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one uh, in the seat back in front of you or close by, and we'd love for you to take that. We want everyone to be able to have a copy of God's Word. And as you're turning to Acts uh, 16, as we're going through this book, um, you know, we've, we've been in it for many weeks. I think by the time we're done, it'll be close to 30 weeks. And I feel like we've only begun to scratch the surface on what's here. Um, and even in, in days like today, I just feel the weight of, and there's, there's so much writtenness in this text that, that I don't even know. And to be able to get in and us to be able to, to pull out within 30 minutes is, is just impossible. And so every week we're kind of relegated to uh, look at just different facets of the text. But that's a beautiful thing for us because the word of God is exhaustive, amen? Uh, it's not just something that we kind of read and we get and it's done, but it, it's, there's a never-ending well of beauty that's here. And I, as I was thinking about it, it's like a, a tapestry. If you can imagine just a massive, massive, expensive uh, priceless tapestry and every single week we kind of get to pull out a single thread and look at that thread from different angles and just rejoice at the beauty of that one little thread that's a part of this greater thing and that's what we get to be a part of as Christians get to delight in God but get to delight in his word together there's a hymn writer uh, whose name was Laman and in the beginning of the, uh, I guess 1917 he penned these words that I think are so true this morning as we dive into this text, it says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. This is this word that we get to look at this morning. The apostle Paul would say it this way in Romans 11.33, says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how immeasurable are his ways. And so before we even dive into this passage, I'd just love to pray for us again and, and let us together thank God for the richness and depth of this word that we get to delight in every Sunday, but every single day as Christians. Would you just pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would reveal yourself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through your word. We thank you for Jesus, the word becoming flesh so that we might have salvation and access to you. So we ask that you would change us, that you would teach us, that you would save us, that you would conform us, that you would break us from our sins and that you would turn our hearts to you. I ask that you would help us to see you as you really are, the priceless treasure who's worth our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be talking about and looking out of Acts 16 at what does it mean for us to lay down our life for the cause of Christ. Lives laid down. This is kind of the, the big idea that, that we're going to look at through multiple angles within this chapter this morning. And it's this. It's that where Jesus is treasured, lives are laid down. Where Jesus is treasured, lives are laid down. When Jesus becomes the treasure, the delight of your soul, the love of your life, the joy of your heart, you willingly and I willingly lay down my life for him and for the sake of the gospel. 
my fear is that when we talk about these things, because I, I know what happens inside of me, so I'm going to assume it happens inside of you. You're probably a lot more spiritual than I am, so it may not be the case. But when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about laying down our lives, when we talk about cost, we think, oh man, here it goes. Like something else I'm going to have to surrender, something else hard I'm going to have to go through, walk through. And even inside of us, there can be a little cringe. And the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of this text is that when you follow Jesus, when you lay down your life for Jesus, the gains are infinite compared to the loss. That Jesus is the greatest treasure. And I think the best way that we can illustrate it this morning is through the idea of love. But, but, and I need your help, okay? Show of hands this morning. How many of you know what it's like to fall in love? Show of hands across the building. Husbands, I'm giving you an easy one here. You better get your hands up quick. You're going to be in trouble, right? You know, and parents are looking around at their kids, making sure their hands don't go up right now. This little kind of nervous action conversation is going to be happening later. Uh, if you know what it's like to fall in love, you know what it's like to be willing to lay something down for something greater. Uh, yesterday we got the joy, my wife and I, to be able to go to a wedding of a, a young couple in our church and just to celebrate uh, their union together. One of the things that I find um, just fun about weddings is to, throughout the ceremony and after, to look at the face of the bride and groom when they see each other. And you see the googly eyes, and you just see just this great affection for one another. I mean, the other cannot do anything wrong, right? At least not for the day. And um, it's, it's just this beautiful thing, and, uh, and it, it doesn't really matter. You know, they, they can have everything or they can have nothing, but as long as they have one another, they have all they need, right? And even um, after the ceremony, we were talking to the bride, she was talking about kind of their vocations and job, we were asking what they are going to do, and uh, he doesn't make six figures, she doesn't care, right? She could live in a mansion, could live in a van down by the river. It doesn't matter. She has him, and that's all she needs. And we know that. We, we know what that's like, many of us. But in a much more infinite way, this is what it looks like to love Jesus and to treasure Christ. It's that when he becomes your joy, when he becomes your treasure, when he becomes your life, you're willing to lay anything down because he is of greater value. Jesus himself would say it this way in Matthew 13, 44. He tells this story that you might have heard before. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, and I love these words, in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Think about this. There's a guy, he's walking around, he's just going about his normal day, and all of a sudden he just comes upon this treasure. And so what does he do? He buries it, he hides it. This isn't being dishonest in that day. Uh, and he goes and he, with joy, he lays down his life. He sells everything he has, all of his possessions, all the things that matter to him. He sells them out of joy. Why? To gain the treasure. And friends, I just want to, encourage you this morning Jesus is the true and greater treasure Jesus says this is a parable about the kingdom of God the treasure is here the kingdom is here and it's found in me and so when we talk about laying down our lives it's, it's like falling down falling in love and a much infinite scale because Jesus is worth so much more and so how do we know that Jesus is our treasure 
as Christ followers and Jesus followers. We know that Jesus is our treasure when we're willing to lay down our lives for him because he's everything to us. And really when we lay down everything for Jesus, we lay down nothing. And there, there is a cost, but it's an infinite reward. Jesus later on will say this in Mark 8, 34. He says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's hard, right? We like to take care of ourselves, deny myself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Family, I love you dearly and this is one of my greatest fears for us. For my children, for my wife. That we would seek to gain the whole world and would forfeit our soul. That we would be a church who's satisfied with our stuff and who misses out on the great story that we've been created for and redeemed to be a part of. And so this morning as we walk through Acts 16, I think one of the challenges for us is when we talk about things like laying down our lives for Jesus and seeing him as the treasure, we begin asking questions about how do we do that? What does that look like? And in this passage, we see six different individuals who, because they see Jesus as their treasure, they lay something down for Christ. And so this is the thread that I want to pull out this morning. This is the picture that I want to look at through the lives of these individuals in Acts 16 who say, Jesus is worth everything. And my hope and prayer is that as we look through their lives, that God would help us to see our lives and that there would be some things, even this morning, that God would convict you of that maybe you've been unwilling to lay down. That I've been unwilling to lay down. And my prayer that is that we would see Jesus as the true and greater treasure. And then we will conclude our time this morning with the table. Remembering Jesus' crucifixion, his suffering, his brokenness for your sin and my sin to bring us to God. So that, that is our trajectory this morning. So where Jesus is treasured, lives are laid down. What does that look like? How do we do that? How does that become a reality in our lives? And I think we see that here in Acts 16. And so just for a little context, last week we, we walked through Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council and the decision that there was debate and controversy or whether someone who was not circumcised could be saved and praise the Lord. Uh, they, they said, yes, salvation is not dependent upon circumcision. And we kind of walked through what that is. And so that set up the Apostle Paul and Silas as they begin their second missionary journey. So what does it look like when Jesus is our treasure? Here's several things that we're going to walk through this morning and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. The first one is this. When Jesus is our treasure, we, de- we lay down our comfort for the good of God's family. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down our comfort for the good of God's family. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down comfort. Look at chapter 15, verse 36. 
It says this, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Again, for context, Paul and Barnabas have already gone on a missionary journey. They've come back to Jerusalem. They've been back to Antioch. And at this moment, the easy thing, the comfortable thing would be to stay, right? Stay in Jerusalem with the apostles. Go back to Antioch, to the home church, to the mothership with their friends and stay there, stay in their comfort. But this is not what Paul longs to do. Paul longs to go and lay down his comfort for the good of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us go back and encourage the churches. And as the passage goes on, Barnabas and Paul split. Um, But that's still the aim of their mission. Look at verse 41 if you have your Bible open. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Paul takes Silas, and they go on this mission. We're going to leave behind what's comfortable, and we're going to go to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. 16 verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. And it goes on talking about Timothy. And let's go down to verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in number daily. So here's the point. Paul and Silas, they lay down their comfort for the sake of the gospel, for the good of their brothers and sisters. This is just this is simple, practical application for us. But are you, am I, willing to lay down our comfort for the good of one another? Are we willing to lay down our comfort for the good of one another? There's a lot of things that we like and we enjoy and where we feel secure. And to serve other people means going outside of those things. And when Jesus is our treasure, we are willing to lay down our comfort. One of the things that's really important, if you circle and underline in your Bible, is verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. You might want to underline the word Lystra. Lystra. And in chapter 14, we didn't really have a lot of time to cover it, but if you go back into Acts 14, verse 19, it says this, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, there in Lystra, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Now, I don't know how bad the kids were this morning. Maybe you felt like you needed to do a stoning. Or maybe you felt like you received one on your getting pelted by juice boxes on the way here this morning. But this is a bad day. I don't know if you've had a bad day this week. This is a bad day. When you get stoned to death and drug outside the city and tossed out, left for dead, that's a bad day. How many of you are signing up to go back to that city? Not it, right? Not it. I will go to another city, I will go to another place, but where's the first place Paul goes? Back to Lystra. Back to the place of suffering. Back to the people that he loved and the God that he loved. And look at what happens in verse 20 of chapter 14, if your Bible's open there. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city and went on the next day. Paul gets stoned to the point of death, but doesn't die, gets back up, and goes back to preach the gospel to the people who just tried to kill him. And now he's going back. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus is our treasure, comfort must fall. 
When Jesus is our treasure, comfort must be set aside. We say this would be easier, but loving God and loving his people is far better because Jesus is worth it. Being a part of a life group might mean being uncomfortable. But sometimes we don't go and do things or join things just for our good. We're called to do it for the good of God's people. Being here this morning, coming and coming on time and all those things. It might be easier or more comfortable to stay at home. But for the good and the glory of God, for the good of God's people, we come. Maybe you serve this morning or have thought about serving and that's hard. And being a part of the nursery or preschool, that might seem really uncomfortable for a lot of you. I have preschoolers in my home. That's really uncomfortable for me. But one way we serve God's people is through there's all kinds of ways this is a way but when Jesus is our treasure we are willing to lay down our comfort for the good of God's family Paul and Silas say we're going to set comfort aside for the sake of the gospel I think one of the greatest dangers for the church in the west and for our church is that we would live comfortable lives but where Jesus is treasured risk is right So that might mean getting out of your comfort zone here. That might mean being willing to relocate your family across the country or around the world. Why would you do that? Because Jesus is worth it. Like when Jesus is your treasure, when Jesus is your love, I was talking about that bride and groom. They're willing to go anywhere, they're willing to do anything, they're willing to walk through anything. They go through these vows for better, for worse, for richer and poorer and sickness and health. I will go through anything for you. And our Savior, who's rescued us and laid down his life, what are you willing to lay down for him? Paul and Silas gladly lay down their comfort for him. Jesus is better than our comfort. Amen? Let's keep going. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down our preferences so that stumbling blocks to the gospel might be torn down. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down stumbling blocks to the gospel so that they might be torn down. And Paul and Silas, they get to Lystra, they meet a new character who will become prominent in the New Testament. His name's Timothy. Let's look at what it says about Timothy in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe, to Lystra. The disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman. He was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Now, if you were with us last week, you understand what's going on. Paul and Silas are going there encouraging these churches, but they're also carrying the message that has been, the decision that has been delivered by the Jerusalem Council. That circumcision is not required for salvation. But then Paul shows up in Lystra, he meets Timothy who is uncircumcised, and what's the thing he asked Timothy to do? To be circumcised. And then they start going to churches to tell them this news about why you don't have to be circumcised to be a believer. Why would Paul do this? 
Why would Paul ask this of Timothy? Later on, Paul will refuse to do the same thing with Titus. So why here would Paul ask this of Timothy if they've already decided circumcision is not a means of salvation? And why would Timothy be willing to undergo this? I don't know what's uncomfortable for you for the sake of the gospel. This would be really uncomfortable to do for the sake of the gospel, right? You guys tracking with me? But there's a barrier here. Paul knows that they're going to encounter Jewish synagogues. People who, in their mind, in their heart, believe that circumcision is necessary to be a God follower. He knows that these people will know that Timothy was a Greek. He's not been circumcised. His father was a Greek. His mother's Jewish. And so for the sake of the gospel, he asked Timothy to lay this down so that the gospel would not be hindered. Think about this. This is... This is hard, right? This is of, of great cost. I'm sure Timothy's preference would be to like leave that alone. I'll just go with you and we'll just talk about it. But, but no, Paul wants to remove, and Timothy is willing to remove this stumbling block so that people would not be turned off to the gospel. This is the way that we live when we see Jesus as our greatest treasure. We're willing to remove our preferences so that other people will see Jesus Christ. Paul will say it this way later on in Romans 14, 13 through 19. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another brother. I know and persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean to anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbringing. This is what Paul's saying. If there are stumbling blocks in people's lives for the sake of the gospel, we want to do everything we can to tear those down. In order to do that, preferences must be laid down. So let's talk about that within the context of a a church setting. That means things like the preferences of what type of music we play and sing need to be laid down. The type of clothes that we wear to the gathering and what we think is right or not right. Those things are not gospel issues and so we, we lay those things down. The type of programs a church offer or does not offer is not the reason why we choose to participate in that church. Those are not gospel issues. Those are preference issues. So for the sake of the gospel, we lay those things down so that there would not be walls built up, barriers to people seeing Christ. This is hard for us. But this is what it looks like. And unfortunately... Churches today are much more known for the walls they build up than for the ones that they tear down. And here we see the Apostle Paul and we see Timothy specifically saying, I will suffer so that there will not be an obstacle in the way of the gospel message going out. I will lay my preference down so that the gospel can be on clear display. 
brothers and sisters, Jesus is better than our preferences. Jesus is better than our preferences. Jesus is better than the way we want church to look. Jesus is better than what fits us and makes us feel comfortable. And Timothy was willing to lay that down. We, too, must be willing to lay these things down. Let's move on to the next one. We looked at Paul and Silas. We'll keep going. Where Jesus is our treasure, we lay down control so that God's love might be made known where it's unknown. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down control so that God's love might be made known where it is currently unknown. Look at verses 6 through 10. And when they went through the region of Aphergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night of a man in Macedonia, standing there, urging him, saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If you see someone in a vision telling you to come, and you're a Christian, and they're telling you to come share the gospel, that's a pretty good indication that God wants you to go there and share the gospel, right? And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's not happened to me. But I think it's interesting and fascinating that Paul and Silas, they long to go into Asia. And it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them to go tell the gospel there. And then they want to go to this other place. And the Holy Spirit forbids them to go speak the gospel there. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading through this passage, I'm thinking, would that not be awesome? I have a decision. God I want to do what's right. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, I forbid you to go here. I forbid you to buy that. I forbid you to do this. Like that, that would be awesome. Why does that not happen to us? I think the reason it probably doesn't happen to us is usually we're not asking God, hey, can I go to Asia to share the gospel? I don't know how many of you have prayed that prayer this week. Lord, please allow me to go to the 1040 window to North Korea to share the gospel. And maybe if we begin to ask those questions and pray those prayers, maybe we begin to hear the Holy Spirit move in that kind of way. But I think most of the time for us, our decisions and the things we want to know answers to are a lot more wrapped around our life, our preferences, our comforts, our desires, our plans than God's call, right? But even in something that is missional, even in something that Paul and Silas are commanded to do, to go share the gospel. When the Holy Spirit says no, look at what Paul and Silas do. They submit control. One of the greatest barriers, brothers and sisters, to us following Jesus with our lives is we don't want to relinquish control of our lives. What is going on in your life right now that you're unwilling to let go of? Because the truth of the matter is that we really aren't in control of anything, right? But in our desire to have stability, we hold on to control. But Paul and Silas, they're willing to lay down control so that they can follow God obediently. What are you trying to control? Your job? Your school? Your kids? 
your relationships, your roles in life? What would it look like for us to live with open hands and say, God, I'm letting go. I'm not chasing this decision. I'm chasing obedience to your call. I wonder what your life and my life and our church would look like if we solely just did the things that God commanded us to do. Like the Great Commission. Yet we spend so much of our days, so much of my day, worrying about this bill, this thing, this, what's going to happen to my kids, what's going to happen there. And we hold on to control instead of giving those things to God and pursuing in obedience the direct commands he's given to us. When Jesus becomes your treasure, you let go of control. Jesus is better than control. Paul and Silas, they lay that down for the sake of the gospel. There's an author named Scott Sauls, and he says this, The best fathers, the best friends, the best mothers realize that God is always a better author of someone else's story than I am. I think there's this thing inside of us that just longs to have control over our own lives. Here, they follow and they submit to the control and leading of the Holy Spirit. And they go to Macedonia. And they arrive at this place called Philippi. And in Philippi, we begin to get a part of the story that becomes more familiar to us. A church is going to be planted in Philippi. And I would encourage you, if you've not been through the reading plan this week, to go back and read through Acts 16. Because Paul and Silas go to Philippi in obedience. They don't go to Asia. They don't go to my Asia. They go to Philippi. God is going to plant a church in Philippi. And that church is going to reverberate the gospel through the region. It's going to become the dearest church to the Apostle Paul. If we read the book of Philippians, it's a letter that Paul writes to this church that's founded right here in this passage we're, going about, we're about to read. And in it, you just see the beauty and the glory of God's grace alive. And so we get to chapter 16, verse 11. They're in Philippi, and this is... The next truth about our treasure. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down our wealth so that others might become rich in Christ. When Jesus becomes our treasure, we lay down our wealth so others might become rich in Christ. Look at verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia. So they go where the vision leads them, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. He was a worshiper of God. This means that, that she was a Judaizer. She was practicing the Jewish religion, but she didn't have a relationship with God. She worshiped the one true God, but she didn't have saving faith. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was said by Paul. And I love those words. In verse 15, And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, And she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
So we see this story, Paul and Silas are looking for a synagogue, they can't find one. They know that religious custom would be purification, that would happen by a river, so they go to a river looking for a place to pray, any type of gathering, and they come upon a women's prayer meeting. These two dudes show up, uh, and they start talking about Jesus, and there's this lady there named Lydia. And Lydia is a thriving businesswoman. A woman of influence, where it says that she was a seller of purple goods. This was a very lucrative business. Uh, This was something that she would have made a lot of money off of. She would have had a lot of influence within the city. Um, And so she's no small person. She's important. She's significant. And she's searching. She's worshiping God, but she doesn't know Jesus. (coughs) And God leads Paul and Silas to Lydia, they share the gospel with her, and she's saved. And look and see what her first response is. Verse 15, and after she was baptized, her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful, come to my house and stay. She lays down her wealth, she lays down her possessions, she extends what she has, why? Because Jesus is the greater treasure. If you have your Bible open, if you look at the very Um, If you look at verse um, 40, the very last verse in chapter 16, later it'll say, So they went out of prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, encouraged and departed. So it sounds like that between this point and the end of chapter 16, Lydia's house is a church. She's given up her resources, she's given up her home, she is now funding the mission of God. For the sake of time, this this is the truth for us this morning. Most of us don't see ourselves as being wealthy. We don't see ourselves as having much. You have bills, I have bills. Your kids have braces. Mine, unfortunately, will need to have braces. Um, You know, there's college, there's all these things that are there. And so we, we live in those tensions. But the truth is that we as Americans, we are some of the most wealthy people in the world. And when Jesus becomes your treasure, you look at the resources that you have and say, Jesus is worth more. Why don't you listen to the way uh, the Apostle Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The author of Hebrews will say it this way, You had compassion on those in prison. Think about these words. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Think about that. The early church, they gladly accepted the plundering of their property. Why? Because in Christ they had the better possession. When Jesus is your treasure, when Jesus is your joy, You use your wealth. You use your possessions. You see those as a means to advance the kingdom. You lay those things down. And I'm not preaching a a message on giving so we can have a higher offering. I'm just saying when Jesus becomes everything to you, you're willing to do whatever it takes to take what you have and push people to the gospel and put the gospel on display. And Lydia does just that. White collar, massive influence, Money and wealth laid down for the sake of the gospel. It's convert number one at the church in Philippi. 
Let's look at one more. For the sake of time, we can't read the whole thing, but what happens in chapter 16, Paul and Silas, uh, they cast out a demon from a girl. The city goes into an uproar. They get thrown into prison. Uh, They're singing in their jail cell at midnight. Again, if you want to think about a heart that's treasuring Christ, I don't know what you do after you've gotten thrown in jail. I don't spend the night singing after I've been beaten and locked up. But when Jesus is your treasure, your soul is secure. And they're singing in the jail cell. There's an earthquake. They're released. The jailer comes and he gives his life to Jesus Christ. And one of the astonishing things to me in this narrative is that the Philippian jailer, when he sees Jesus as Savior, he takes Paul and Silas out of the jail cell and brings them home. He lays down his story, his job, his career for Jesus. And not only does he do that, he brings his family along with them. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down our story for our lives and for our families for a better story. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down our story, the story for our lives, for a better story. And again, in our culture, one of the temptations for us is that we will want to write the story for our family and for our lives. But when we see Jesus as our treasure, we lay those things down for the sake of following Jesus. Parents, Jesus has a better story for your children than you do. Align your lives to his story. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has a better story for your life than you do. Align your life to his story. Put things on the line. Lay your vocation on the line. Lay your child's education on the line. Maybe it means moving away. Maybe it means changing the way you look at life. Maybe it means not going on a third vacation this year. Maybe it means not playing travel ball. Whatever that is to help align your life and your family's life around the gospel, Jesus is better than those things. He's worth our lives. And we see another Philippian come to Christ. This church is being formed. Lydia and the Philippian jailer. And this is the last one. And this, you might be sitting there saying, Paul, you're walking through all these things. Why are you walking through all these things? Because I want to get here. There's one other convert that we see in the church at Philippi. It's a very unlikely one. And if you have your Bible still open, look at chapter 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain through fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servant of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And one of the things that's really important to understand is that these people would have had no frame of reference for what the slave girl was saying through the demon. When he said, they proclaimed you Jesus, the way of salvation, no one understood what that meant. There was confusion, and so Paul was frustrated by the confusion she was, she was causing. But Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, commands the demon to leave and we don't know this for sure, but, but every single theologian I could look at gives the indication that, and when you look at New Testament scripture, 
in this moment, this probably isn't just a demon leaving a girl. This is this girl coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and this, this is the truth that, that I want us to wrestle with and, and land with before we go into the Lord's table. When Jesus is our treasure, we lay down nothing because he is everything. This is, this is really important. Hang with me for just a minute. You and I are the slave girl. She brings absolutely nothing to the table. Being a slave, she has no standing. Being a woman in the society, she has no standing. She has nothing to offer. She is possessed by sin. She's enslaved. And this is your and my story. Think about it this way. She brings, we've talked about Lydia. Lydia has wealth. The Philippian jailer, he has a job. Timothy, he, he has influence and a repertoire behind him of people who are encouraging. Silas, he's there with Paul. Luke is the physician. They're all there. This slave girl, she has absolutely nothing. And God in his glorious grace reaches down and rescues her out of bondage. Friends, this is what God has done for us. This is what God has done for you. This is what God has done for me. If you are a believer in this room, this is what God has done for us. And it's beautiful. We don't bring anything to the table. And this is the truth of this text. Is that following Jesus and laying down our lives to follow Jesus really is choosing to lay down nothing because he is worth everything. Another way of saying it is this. You're not really laying anything down when you follow Christ. Because he's far better, infinitely better. And he is worth everything to us. And so when we come to the table this morning to remember Christ's body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, we're remembering that we bring nothing to God. We are running the opposite way. We are in bondage to sin. And in God's grace and in his love, he sent his son to rescue you and rescue me. Have you experienced that grace? Have you experienced that rescue? Do you know it? And if in God, when Christ was wealthy, became poor so that in him we might become rich, we in turn gladly lay down our lives so that others can know Christ and so that God can be glorified. This is the good news of what we get to be a part of. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Acts 16. God making a way to save people who don't deserve to be saved. That's what God has done for you and for me and we get to celebrate this morning. So we, in response, lay down our lives to him. But here's my question for you and for me as we go into this time of response to the Lord's Supper. What are you unwilling to lay down for the sake of Jesus Christ? Because this is the truth. If when Jesus is treasured, lives are laid down, if we're not laying down our life, Jesus is not our treasure. Someone, something else is. So what are you treasuring this morning? Is it comfort? Is it control? 
Is it your possessions? Is it your story, the goal of your life? Or has Jesus become the greater treasure? Out of joy, you're willing to lay down your life for him. Paul would say later to the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 3, that he count everything he had gained as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He is worth everything, church. May we be a people who lay our lives down for him. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Pastor Austin is going to come and lead us through the Lord's table. Before he does, I would just say to you this morning, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, you've never experienced this. You, you are like the demon-possessed girl. You have nothing. You've been in chains and bondage. You've been blind to the truth. My prayer this morning is that for some, that God will open up your eyes to see that everything your heart longs for, the emptiness that you feel inside, can only be satisfied through Jesus Christ. He died to rescue you, to set you free. Some of you are here and you are believers, and you've gone back into bondage. Bondage to comfort, bondage to control, bondage to the ideal life that you want, bondage to possessions. For some, it's bondage to bitterness and resentment. You have anger in your heart towards someone else, unforgiveness toward a spouse, a child, a parent. There's brokenness that you're walking through, there's shame, there's regret that you're walking through that has you bound, just like that slave girl, she could not get free of that demon. She needed to be set free. The good news of gospel is Jesus has come to set you free. Freedom can come to you this morning. It's by surrendering to Jesus, asking him to rescue, asking him to save you. And it might be for you that, that coming down to the table, it's not the time for you. It might be that you pray. It might be that you go to our prayer room and have people pray with you. You might need to make something right in this place. What are you unwilling to lay down to follow Jesus? Lord, I pray that we this morning as a church and as a people would see see you as the priceless treasure. That our joy would be you and our joy would be full. And that you would help us to lay down everything that hinders us from following you wholly and completely. In your name I pray. Amen.